Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil Ekelona, and this is Nashville. Do you have a garden? If so, what are you growing? Basil or rosemary? How about some tomatoes? Whether you're a veteran with a green thumb or just dipping your toe in, gardening can be a great way to feed yourself and your community. But it does a lot more than that. Later this hour, we'll talk about community gardens with a few folks tending them. And we'll learn just how they can serve the public in ways beyond nourishment. All right, so most of my life has been spent in cities or the suburbs. I've been to farms, but know very little about life on one. Honestly, I'm intrigued about what it would be like to live and work on a farm. Going to bed early and getting up before the dawn, there's a calming energy about that thought. There's a farm not too far from here where that schedule is reality. Last year, we sent our then-intern, Doreen Chernecki, to see what a typical day is like on Hedicity Farm out in Pegram. You might have heard that roosters crow at the break of dawn. Out on Hennessy Farm in Pegram, it's an all-day thing. Sometimes they just do it. Sometimes it is a warning. So sometimes you will see me like, what are y'all doing that for? <laughs> That's Ashley Beard. She tends the farm. It's about 16 acres. They've got guineas, quail, chickens, and ducks. Ashley's new here, but she knows her way around. <laughs> They're my babies. They're messy. Be mindful of your head stepping in. With all of these birds come a lot of eggs in all shapes and colors. Guinea eggs are like a peach color um, and they're speckled. And then you have some that are green, some that are just this deep brown, and they're so gorgeous. Um, I think those are Americana. And they're like, when I say deep brown, like, deep, gorgeous, like almost like a mahogany brown. And it's the entire egg, just one color, and it's so pretty. And then you have like the duck eggs that are just ginormous. Um, and we have had um, a couple of guinea eggs that look literally like dinosaur eggs because they're like this big. We're like, why is it so big? Ashley has learned a ton since she started just two months ago. And she learned it all from Cynthia Capers. I brought you a baby quail, uh, a newly hatched quail, so you could see it. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Say, oh my gosh. I just hatched, yes, last night. This is Cynthia's farm. It's her whole life. And Ashley, her protege, she's beginning to understand that. I've always wanted to do the farm life. Like, I've always been like, this seems really cool. And like, she, she's been like, do you still like it? <laughs> there are days where she can see where I'm like kind of discouraged or something. She'll be like, how do you feel about seeing all the things that have come to fruition since you started working here? And I was like, you know, yeah. Cause like, you know, even after we, I first started coming like the, the eggs started flowing like gold and I was like, whoa. And she was like, yeah, that's because you've been like keeping them on a consistent schedule and making sure they have clean water. That's actually really cool to see like how even just you being consistent with something, like what can come out of it. It's helped me, you know, mentally and it's helped me emotionally because it's just the, the discipline that comes with it. 
Cynthia Capers joins us now. Cynthia, welcome to This Is Nashville. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well. So glad to have you with us. So tell me, how did you come to farming? Like, was this a lifelong (laughs) dream of yours? No, it was not. I'm an inner city girl from Chicago, so um, there was no dream of farming so much except for just wanting to be around these little cute baby chicks that I saw at the Lincoln Park Zoo back in the day when my mom was taking me there. Um, So I don't really have that farm life where I actually grew up on a farm or came to visit a farm. None of that ever occurred. I was the inner city girl that, you know, they took us kids that were in the poverty stricken neighborhoods to farms to give us an idea of what it was to be on a farm. That's all. That's the only exposure I ever had. What did you do before you became a farmer? Well, I am a former trauma nurse. So, um, and a clinical researcher. So that's what I've been doing. I would say I've been a nurse about 30 years. I've worked in research about 20, 22 years. And I started raising the birds about 20 years ago and became a full farmer about five years ago. So trauma complicated. Yeah. I mean, trauma (laughs) nurse to farmer. That's a big career change. (laughs) Tell me, what was that like? What was that like for you and your family when you made that decision? Well, you know, I don't think first of all, I didn't really consult anybody because when I do things, I don't always consult people. I do what I'm going to do and. The decision to become a farmer full time was based on just just going for it because it you know otherwise I felt like you know you can live your life with a lot of regret and the goal is to reduce regret and I needed to see what it would be like to take it to a different level and not be a hobby farmer to take it to a full farm. Now, Hennessy Farm, how did you find that? property? Um, I moved here about 20 years ago under duress. I was having some things going on in my personal life. And um, I came out and the house was, uh, you know, I think there were bats living underneath the deck and it was a pretty hectic place. (laughs) It had been not lived in. But when I walked out in the property, like toward the back of the property, were all the trees and the beauty. I said, you know, I think I need to be here. And then by, um, I would say intervention from, I say the ancestors came through and the property was going to be sold as part of an estate. And the the executor of the estate decided to hold the property until I was able to buy it. You mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the ancestors. Do you have farmers in your lineage? Um, it's interesting. I didn't know anything about it because my city family and my family has never spoken about post-slavery or any of the things about their Southern roots, nothing. I've never heard a thing. It wasn't until I did some family tree uh, lookup for my mom's 75th birthday that I saw all the farmers on the 1800s um, census. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I can't tell you, it was just, I felt like, okay, so they're here on this, on this census. And I felt like they came and said, 
We've been waiting for somebody to find us. We've been waiting for you. So you're bringing the family legacy back. That's from the ancestors. What about That's from the ancestors? What about your contemporary <laughs> family? Like, do they help out? Do they come to the farm no. and help you out? No, they do not. Unfortunately, I don't have them here at the farm and it's not because I don't want to. I just sometimes I really don't understand. But then I guess I do. And some I do and some I don't is that they haven't embraced the farm. And the farm is something that maybe it's too much for a, a city person to because when they come out, they've just the land and just the whole thing is such an unusual occurrence. Mm -hmm. I don't think they even get what it could be for them, you know? Mm -hmm. So you raise poultry. I do. <laughs> now you mentioned how you took that trip as a kid in Chicago and you fell in love with the chicks. What else made you decide to raise birds? Um, it's just, you know, I, I would say that knowing that I was in control of my food source, I'm a major egg eater, love breakfast food. And I knew that if I had chickens, you know, laying birds, they would be laying eggs. I could have eggs at, at a whim. Um, I believe that poultry brings you this egg and the egg is this, this protein packed essence that could reduce hunger. It's a simple food, but it's a powerful food. Um, it's an easy food. They're doing all the work. You keep them happy. Um, I just don't think that we realize how important having these, this protein pack egg and what it could do for so many people that are hungry. Just think about it. It's already covered up. It can be packaged and kept cool or not if it's a fresh egg and we could be feeding, I don't know how many people with just that. Mm -hmm. Now we got to hear a little bit earlier, but describe a typical day on the farm for us. Oh, typical day. Wow. How much time do you all have? Ooh, typical day. <laughs> typical day. Okay. What time so, do you wake up? Uh, between 3 and 5 a.m. Wow. Okay. And uh, I try to have that time for meditation, but I can't say that I may not send text messages between 3 and 5 a.m. I think people are probably getting them and going, what the hell's wrong with her, you know? But that's when hmm. I'm, you know, looking at messages and and getting them done and then i try to be outside especially now it's very hot uh at five and feed and water uh maybe find birds that are either died naturally hopefully i haven't had any predator attacks checking fences checking cages uh, uh, uh gathering eggs cleaning throwing bedding uh, you, you just on and on. There's a thousand things to do. There's never nothing to do. Maybe I've encountered a snake. It's, mm. you know, it got in the coop. I've got to, obviously that's got to go. Can't stay. Mm -hmm. right? um, got to deal with that. Um, you know, walking the dog, I'm training a, a, a livestock guardian dog, of great Pyrenees so that he will protect the property and keep um, some of these predators down, especially now that it's so hot. A lot of predators are coming for food, the easier food source. Everything, everything likes chicken. You know, everything loves chicken. 
<laughs> uh, but I just don't have chicken. You know, I have guineas and I have ducks and I have quail. We, um, I've got 30, 35 different breeds of birds here. Pretty intense. Wow. That does sound very intense. Thanks for tuning in to this rebroadcast of our 2022 episode all about community gardens. When we come back, we'll continue the conversation. So stay with us. This is Nashville. Khalil Colonna, and this is Nashville. This hour, we're bringing you a rebroadcast of our 2022 episode all about community gardens and farms. We may live in an urban metropolis, but there are several community gardens in our town. My next guest founded one. It's a market garden program called Growing Together, a project of the Nashville Food Project. Lauren Bailey is the director of garden outreach and engagement for the Nashville Food Project. Lauren, welcome to This is Nashville. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. So what was behind mm -hmm. the idea for the program that you got help with from the Center for Refugees and Immigrants of Tennessee? I mean, really the idea behind it was... Um, to create connection and pathways for people to to have access to land and access to resources. Because um, many people um, that I came in contact with, they had uh, very strong um, cultural ties to tending the land and to agriculture. Um, and so that that was kind of the idea behind it is like, how do we create, you know, when I was working in those two spaces, uh, there were gaps that like people weren't be, weren't able to access um, land and resources. And so the, the program itself was really designed to, to start to try to experiment with what that would look like. How does the program work exactly? Well, right now um, we're, we're entering, I guess, the farm officially started in 2015. And um, so we're entering what, the eighth year. And um, we have some farmers who have been with the program since the very beginning and um, some who we have an apprenticeship program where new farmers are paired with existing uh, farmers uh, to kind of learn uh, about growing food and, and in a culturally sort of relevant uh, context. So farmers, um, they're, you know, they're ready to go in early March um, growing food and uh, the food project supports in by providing training and by providing market support and you know the food projects also has this goal of um, um, uh, supporting food getting out in the community and so um, we have some produce distribution um, through community partners like I think another guest trap trap gardens and uh, through other community partners like Turk and Nashville Cares, and they're getting some of this food that's grown by the Growing Together farmers out into the community. Um, and the farmers also have a CSA. And then if there's uh, extra capacity, it, it also is sold sometimes to restaurants. Mm -hmm. Now, our intern, Doreen Schonecki, went out to meet some of the farmers in person in preparation for the show since no farmers were able to join us live. One she met was Roy, a refugee from Myanmar who's been farming there for three years. That's a pretty long time. Is that typical? 
Yes. I, I mean, I think um, we're at the point now where we have a pretty like core group of people who've been with the program for a while. Um, so I think Roy is probably the newest at three years. And mm -hmm. then the rest, you know, uh, we've had a couple of farmers who've been there since the very beginning. You know, you've worked closely with people in the community and refugees sharing skills and tips. What have you learned that have enhanced your skills and abilities? Well, I think on the non-growing side of things, I have learned a lot just about being open to exploring new new ways of doing things and new ways of thinking about things. And that's really, I think, truly transformed my worldview. Um, but in the practical sense of growing food, um, you know, there I witnessed a lot of uh, intercropping. So um, farmers grow, you know, uh, different crops together in the same space. And that's something that I hadn't quite witnessed in my other experiences. Um, and, and I think um, the other thing that I really appreciate about what I've witnessed is just this ability and, and capacity to try new things and, and experiment. And, um, you know, that there's not one prescriptive uh, way of farming, um, but that we're kind of all uh, we're all practice, practitioners, and um, we can all learn from each other. You know, I want to hear more about the people that you work with. Tell us some about some more about the farmers who are there in the program. Yes. Well, I think um, I encourage everyone to, um, you know, seek out some of the, the resources we have, like our, our Growing Together Instagram, to kind of get to know farmers in those ways. But... Um, I think I've been just truly humbled um, by uh, the individuals and, and the families' dedication to growing food and um, and the incredible joy and pleasure that they take in um, intending to the land and in growing uh, just incredible food for the community. Um, and and you know I think some some of the farmers are my parents' age, and so I think a lot about what what um what this program what these individuals uh mean to to our community and what um just what value and and how much we can learn from who they are and and how they impact our our city poultry farmer cynthia capers is still with us there's a mentality of this whether you're running a local farm or attending a community garden it's about taking care of your own what does feeding your community However you define that community, what does that mean to you, Cynthia? Well, feeding my community means ensuring that no one is hungry. I mean, that nobody has any issues with obtaining food. It should be, it shouldn't be a huge process. It should be readily available, readily accessible. It should be nutritious, healthy. Um, I grew up going to school hungry and being in class all day and hungry. And I, I hear that's still happening. And that's a, um, a major issue for a country as, as potent as supposedly we are. And so to me, we, that shouldn't even be nothing. That shouldn't even be part of our world at all. Not here. Um, so feeding my community is ensuring that everyone has equal access to the best food they can. 
Lauren, how does that resonate with you? I'm over here shaking my head. Um, hmm. <laughs> yes, I think this, you know, that the idea that people don't have what they need to um, to nourish their bodies uh, or souls, like it, it's just it's unfathomable that we still exist in this, you know, this this situation and and the and the you know what from what I have seen is like we have incredible opportunity to be creative in how we address these inequities of land and food access. And, you know, it's not like we don't have potential land in Nashville. Um, in, in 2017, there was a food system assessment that named that in our city, we have over 108,000 acres zoned for agricultural use. And that's just the ones that are already zoned for agricultural use, um, you know, growing together is growing on a, an urban lot in in um, behind a church like there's so many different spaces that we could be um you know uh, that could be utilized to, to to come up with creative solutions so that people do not so people have what they need in order to meet their needs cynthia after 20 years of doing this why are you yes. keeping at it why do you keep at it <laughs> I ask myself that every morning when <laughs> I come out and deal with those birds and what it means because it's uh, tough. It's a manual labor. Uh, raising poultry is a livestock, so it's not the same as doing a produce. Um, you have to, you, you know, your vacations and your time off is limited to none. And, um, but, you know, as a trauma nurse, I gave back to a certain group of people and situations. In this way, I'm giving back. It's, um, maybe my life was supposed to be doing just that. Um, it, it, it's humbling and it's beautiful and it's tough and it's hard and it's crazy. And there's so many things, but there's still joy for me. Mm -hmm. So that's why I continue to do it. So with what are your hopes for how we can sustain ourselves, whether with shopping local through farms like yours or leaning on our neighborhood community gardens? My hope is that farmers um, get the respect that they're due, um, that they are also heroes to our world. Without them, you wouldn't have. I am hopeful that we have funding that comes to farmers that is necessary for them to be sustained and that it's not as difficult as it can be to get things, uh, programs or monies toward them. I am hopeful that when a student or a person says they want to become an agricultural science major, that they don't regret it, that we are pushing them to do that, that they know that they will find work and be able to live from the income that they get from being in agriculture. Um, as you can tell, I'm very passionate about it because I see people making decisions away from it because they know they can't survive it. Mm. And that should not be. That is farmer Cynthia Capers of Hennis City Farms in Pegram. She was joined by Lauren Bailey from the Nashville Food Project. Thanks to you both for being with us today. 
Thanks for tuning in to this rebroadcast of our episode from last year, all about community gardens and farms. When we come back, we'll learn more about their benefits for the public. So don't go away. This is Nashville. Colonna, and this is Nashville. Growing your own food and livestock is such a significant part of so many cultures all around the world. A lot of those cultures are represented right here in Nashville. The foods we grow and the way we grow them can vary, and the gardening itself can serve us in ways that extend beyond nourishing our bodies. I'd like to welcome my next guest, Vanderbilt professor Avery Dickens de Hiron runs the Center for Latin American Studies. Welcome to This is Nashville. Hi, thanks so much for having me. A pleasure to have you with us. So you study ethnobotany. Can you explain to us what that is? Yeah, so ethnobotany is the study of the relationship between people and plants. And so um, what our garden focuses on is how people use plants as medicines and how they use plants as foods, um, it can also include using plants as shelter, dyes, and so on. So it's this relationship between humans and plants and all the ways we can help each other, right? Exactly. So what's the significance of the Latin American expression of ethnobotany? So the Latin American, well, our garden here at Vanderbilt, um, we have about 50 plants that are native to Latin America. And um, almost all of them that we have in the garden are used for different um, medicinal purposes. They're used for culinary purposes. And so we try to um, share that knowledge uh, that the plants bring to talk about a variety of topics um, that we can use here on campus with our students and faculty at Vanderbilt, but we also have a large public engagement program um, and do workshops that feature the plants um, for teachers in Metro Nashville Public Schools. Now, you were talking about this garden. It's the Latin American Botanical Garden at Vanderbilt. This sounds absolutely amazing. Can you tell us more about it? We founded it in 2017, and so this is its sixth summer. It's in bloom from June to October, and each year we're trying to essentially expand it and improve upon it, both um, as an educational resource and just its infrastructure. So, you know, visitors can come and, you know, learn the, the scientific name of the plant, learn the common name of the plant, where the plant grows geographically in, in Latin America, and then... Um, we have QR codes that will be on these, these nameplates so that you can use your phone to link up to our database and learn more about the plants. Now, you mentioned that you, had, you all are growing 50 species of plants native to Latin America. Can you tell me what are some of those plants? Yeah, I'd love to. So it's 50 species. It's one of those things when uh, you were talking previously with your, your guest, uh, one of the things you know that's really interesting working in a garden is as part of nature and it it really evolves over time so 
we have some come and some go. Um, but one of the one of the ones that I can share with you that's probably not familiar to people um, is called the scientific name of the plant is Acmella oleraceae. And this is a plant that's native to Brazil, to the Amazonian region. And uh, in English, it's called, people call it, we'll call it the toothache plant or buzz buttons. Um, the local name of it is Jumbu. And it's got these really pretty yellow flowers that grow in these ball-shaped clusters. And if you take a pinch of the flowers and put them on the inside of your mouth, it'll make your gums go numb. And so mm. hence the name toothache plant. It serves as a numbing sort of um, plant and is, is used to treat toothache. It can be effective against sore throats. Um, the plant can also be eaten, but this is the one that's really fun to share with, um, with our younger students. This morning I was giving a tour to fifth and sixth graders and they thought this was really um, fascinating and interesting, but it shows how plants um, can be effective medicines for, for primary sorts of um, care. You mentioned that public engagement is a part of this concept. Would you say it's a community garden? Yeah, it's a community garden, I would say, in a different sense. So it's not a community garden where we have um, different people, you know, planting plants and harvesting them. But certainly it is a community garden in the in the sense that we want people to come experience the garden. We want people to come learn about the plants. We want people to share the knowledge that they have from their cultures Um with others about these plants. So one thing that's been uh, very interesting for me, we have, I, I have a lot of um, high school students that come tour the garden either um, through their schools or through programs at Vanderbilt that are partnerships with MMPS. Hmm. And, you know, several of the students that come through will recognize some of the plants that their families are growing um, in their homes or that family members use in cooking. And so generally these are students of um, Latin American heritage or from Latin America that recognize these plants. And so I always learn, you know, from them, um, from their stories and their their individual experiences. You know, it, it really teaches me more about the plants um, every year. You know, every time I give a tour, I learn something um, as well as people sharing their different perspectives of what they see or what they smell of the different plants. That's so in that way, you know, yes, it's a community garden and something that we certainly want people to come um, to come check out and experience. My next guest is the pioneer in community gardens. Donald Frost is the site manager for Trap Garden. Don, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So what's the idea behind Trap Garden? So, I mean, the idea behind Trap Garden is really to help build, sustain and empower food sensitive communities by assisting with the creation of community gardens and promotion of healthy eating and lifestyles. So what sets it apart? So what sets it apart as Trap Garden is our ability to engage with the community. Um, a lot of the ways that we choose to engage with the community is doing surveys and finding information about the community to service that and also making the excitement about the events, right? We're going to bring our big truck that we have coming out to the communities with a great opportunity for teammates and people to engage with the truck and have those experiences. And also the opportunities that we bring when it comes with our community engagement when it deals with um, growing the foods that make sense in those communities. So after those surveys come through, we make sure that we assess the food that's going to be grown in those communities to make sure they're contributing to those communities. 
you know, I saw you nodding along as Avery was talking about public engagement. Is that a big part of this for you? It is a huge part of our organization. So in the past, we normally hosted community garden centers throughout Nashville, focusing on some of those points of so those food deserts in North Nashville and South Nashville. So we had places and locations for community members to not only access uh, places to grow their own food or also engage with others to learn about food and also those other team um, teammates uh, trap garden teammates that come out to share their experiences post pandemic we started taking mm. this excitement out to the community right uh, going to those different locations to enhance the garden communities that we have here in nashville now you mentioned north nashville and south nashville as being food deserts and we know that there are a lot of nashvillians who are experiencing food insecurity what areas in the city that are really affected the most? So as of 2020, we have four major areas in Nashville that have been identified as food deserts. Those areas are North Nashville, East Nashville, Edge Hill, and South Nashville. Mm. Now, how can community gardens ameliorate some of the problems of food insecurity? A lot of ways, by sharing information and continuing to share the access. One thing that we do with Trap Garden, we have a uh, a garden locator, a community garden locator. So we partner with a lot of the community gardens that we have here in Nashville because it's just not about our location, right? Mm -hmm. We have a place where you can come to trapgarden.org, log in, and look up what community gardens in your area and also get a chance to access food that may be a little bit closer to you and also opportunities that may be closer to you as well. You know, I think it's pretty clear that community gardens alone can't fix this problem. What would you like to see from the city to support community gardens? Don? We'll continue to enhance the infrastructure that we have with community gardens, um, creating more spaces where we can have land opportunities for uh, community gardens, for 5013Cs and nonprofits to operate, and also continue to partner what we have with a lot of our local businesses. I think that partnership with the community and some of our local businesses is real being a real tag team competition, uh, combination for us to be successful. Okay, now Avery, you know, you were talking about the plants and herbs that provide medicinal benefits. You know, what was the reaction of the people as they learn what a garden can provide to them? Oh, I think people are just fascinated by all of the different uses of plants. Um, again, I, I give a lot of, I talk to kids, you know, a lot, give tours to them. And, you know, they think on on way different, way, way out of the box, right? How, do, how, how plants can be used. Um, and I think it's something that people generally are very open to. It's something that, you know, it's part of our culture using teas to alleviate colds and so on, but it just takes it to another level of plants have so many different uses and the different foods, the different fruits, um, the different taste of the herbs that can be used. Um, I'm always surprised by how willing and adventurous people are to try things and smell things that they haven't experienced before. Um, and they they generally like it. Most of the things that, that we have in this particular garden are things that um, you would want to taste. So I think it really encourages openness, um, which I think is a wonderful thing in, in our um, increasingly diverse city. Don, do people make medicinal use out of what they grow at the trap garden? There's definitely a lot of anti-inflammatory items that are available to grow in the garden, especially what we talked a little bit earlier, this cultural experience of tea. Right. Uh, one of my early experiments in the garden was trying to grow my own tea out there and started with a little bit of mint. And the mint goes a long way for a lot of healthy benefits. Yeah. Have you found more people are interested in what Trap Garden and other community gardens are providing? 
Yes, it's one of those great tools. Again, with the Garden Locator app, we found that other other, other locations have reached out to us uh, to kind of partner and engage. And so uh, August 11th, we're going to have an event at the Magruder Garden Center, right? We're going to have a partnership there. And so that is also talking about the infrastructure of Trap Garden, our community feel and approach on how people can connect with us so we can actually enhance the gardening community as a whole. We heard from Synth- Farmer Cynthia Capers earlier about this being a labor of love. So what drew you to this? I wanted to change the way I was eating. Um, it's one of those opportunities to where uh, I was in the Kroger grocery store and I wanted to change the way I was eating. I think I was looking at cherry tomatoes or something like that. And during that time, it was quite costly to uh, maintain a healthy diet for me. And I was walking out of the store and I saw some seed packets and I was like, it's like a dollar thirty-eight. I can possibly grow my own food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from there, uh, I went to Strussel Media. Uh, took a picture, talked about my journey, and they connected me with Rob Horton, who runs Trap Garden. And Rob was that perfect partner that you would ask for. Because I started off as a community member, partnered with Rob and Kanita Hutchinson, and we were able to form together to get educated, um, secure spaces, and also share information with our community. But the best part about it is creating those future leaders uh, with a lot of our programs that we have with our local um, elementary schools here in Davidson County. Now, Avery... How would you, we have like about a minute left. How would you like to see community gardens expand? Yeah, I think um, just going back to what Donald was saying, just more space, having more spaces um, dedicated to gardens in the city is probably, you know, the starting point and funding and people engaged in them to maintain them. Because as, as we've all noticed, this is a lot of work. It goes on early in the morning. Um, It's been so dry lately. We've all, I'm sure, been spending a lot of time watering the plants. And so um, I think it starts with space. Don, what do you want to see? I think I think on the other side of space and just talking through that labor of love of watering your garden in the summertime, some way for we can do some water conservation, right? So we can have a way for these local gardens to have access to water, to actually water the food that we have in the communities. In my experiences, as we work with other garden communities, sometimes that's a challenge. Once you do secure the space, A, to maintain the space and then keep it water. I want to thank you both so much for being with us. That is Donald Frost, the site manager for Trap Garden, and Professor Avery Dickens de Giron, executive director of the Center for Latin American Studies at Vanderbilt. Thanks to you both for being with us today. And thanks to you for tuning in this hour. Question for you. Did some of your plants die during the hard freeze this winter? Tomorrow, we're bringing you a brand new episode all about our local trees and shrubs. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Our show has only been possible because of your support. We're in the midst of our Sprint Fund Drive. We need you to step up and make your donation now at thisisnashville.org. And while you're there, you can listen back to all of our episodes. Today's episode was produced by Doreen Chernecki. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer is Andrea Tutho. The masterminds behind our theme music are LaRange and Namir Blade. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekolona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.